Good morning. Start with a bit of trivia this morning. Opportunity for you to show your TV knowledge. All right. Now, there was a children's program that was on a number of years ago that would ask a question. And if you know the answer to that question, I'd like you to say it good and loud on the count of three. The show would begin with it. Children, what time is it? One, two, three. That's right. It's howdy doody time. I won't sing the song for you, but many of you know it's howdy doody time. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. Well, it's good for us to ask from time to time, what time is it? We are in a very classic section in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that deals with the subject of time. This has been a passage that's been appreciated even in the secular realm. Some of you will remember a, a song that was sung. Uh, there is a season, turn, 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 and it's actually the lyrics are taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. As we begin Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we ask the question, how are we to view the circumstances, happenings, events, the times of our lives? As we look at our lives and the particular point of time that we are in, are you frustrated and discouraged or are you excited and Hopeful. Solomon had become exceedingly frustrated and despondent regarding life. If you remember, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the theme is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. As Solomon looked at life, he did not see any rhyme or reason to the events, the circumstances of life. He did not see any overarching purpose or value. And so he threw up his hands and said, all is meaningless. In chapter 3, we begin to explain why life is not simply meaningless, but rather life is Beautiful and has a purpose. This morning's message is an introduction considering the essence of time. I'm going to spend a number of weeks on Ecclesiastes chapter 3 because it's such a profound portion of Scripture. The passage on one hand is extremely deep and Philosophical. As you muse about time and man's responsibility for its use and God's sovereignty over its outcome, we can spend a great deal of time philosophizing about time. And then, on the other hand, there is the very practical understanding of how are we to use our time? What are we to do with our lives? 
What are we to do in this particular stage of life that we're in? What are we to do today as we consider time? But this morning in this interview, uh, this uh, introduction, I want to distinguish between a secular view of time, meaning happenings, circumstances, events in our lives, and a Christian view of time. There is a secular view of the events of our lives that leaves a sovereign God out of the picture. And that secular view is found in Ecclesiastes with the words, under the sun. Under the sun. If you remember, the words under the sun give us an introduction to a philosophy or a worldview that takes God out of the picture. Then there is a philosophy or worldview that considers God. And those phrases are introduced with the words under heaven. Under heaven. So first we look at the view of life under the sun. And I have a number of passages I want us to look at this morning. If you begin with turning with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. Because this issue of time becomes huge in the book of Ecclesiastes and governs a lot of the rest of the book. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11, it says, I again saw under the heaven. So now we're looking at a secular worldview, taking God out of the picture. I saw under the heaven that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. Now these words, for time... And chance overtake them all. In this worldview, life is filled with a series of random events. Notice the end of verse 11. For time and chance overtake them all. Thus, the events or circumstances of life are merely the product of chance or luck. Chance or luck. One is either lucky in life or unlucky in life. And so you can look at life and you can begin to look at your life and say, well, right now I'm running a string of good luck. Everything seems to be going fine. Or right now I'm experiencing a string of bad luck. And everything seems to be falling apart. In that worldview, there is no advantage to making wise decisions. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 8. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 8. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. And then these words, this too is futility and is striving after wind. So that there is no benefit to living life wisely. There is no assurance that is going to reap any kind of benefit. Because we are left to a rather 
blind fate, mere luck or coincidence. And so the events of our lives are seen beyond our control, and our decisions really don't matter at all. We see a paradox in life. Ecclesiastes 9-11. The race is not to the swift. What's the use of being fast if you don't win? The battle's not to the warriors. What's the use of arming yourself if it's not going to secure victory? Bread is not to the wise. So then why work hard if it's not going to produce any benefit? Nor wealth to discerning, nor favor to men of ability. This view, again, renders life's decisions meaningless. Ecclesiastes 6.12 For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? In this view, there is no right or wrong. There is no ability to discern. Who can tell another person what is right or wrong for them, or how should they live their life? Ecclesiastes 6.12 Who knows what's good for man? And if there's ever a time that capsulates that thinking, it's the time, the day, the age in which we live. Who knows? What a person should do. Who knows how they should act. Who knows what is right or wrong. And every man is left to decide for themselves. Far be it from us to tell someone else what they should do or how they should live. For there is no absolute answer to that. When you take God out of the picture. Everyone simply needs to do what feels best to them. What they think is going to bring about the greatest Degree of happiness. And who knows how it's all going to turn out. Whether it's going to be to our betterment or for our worse. The passage before us introduces us to a far different worldview. Our passage takes God into account as seen in verse 1. With the phrase, under heaven. Under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1 There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. Now, life is not viewed as a series of random events. But rather as a symphony that is orchestrated by God. It climaxes with a verse in verse 11 of chapter 3. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He being God. He's made everything appropriate in his time. I like the translation of the King James. He makes everything beautiful in his time. The idea of this word is that which is appropriate, that which is fitting, that which is right, that which is Blessed, that which is beautiful, that which adorns. It's a word of that which is uniquely fitting, appropriate, a marvel to behold. 
God has made everything right in its particular time. God has determined an appropriate time for every single circumstance of our lives. Ecclesiastes 3.1 There is an appointed time for everything. For everything. Then there's given a poem to us in verses 2 to 8 to drive home the point that there is an appropriate time for every circumstance we can experience in life. There are 14 couplets of opposites to depict every event in our life. It starts with a summation in verse 2. A time to give birth, the NAS says. I prefer the translation of the NIV in King James. A time to be born. I think it's a passive. It's talking about in the sovereignty of God, there's a time for us to be born and there's a time for us to die. There's an appointed end. Our lives are governed by Him. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. And then, there's a time for everything in between. Every circumstance of our life, no matter how big or how small, there is a beauty to the events of our lives when they are accomplished in God's appointed time. If you look with me at the end of verse 2 through verse 8, then we have this list of opposites that show us that indeed there is a time for everything. A time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up is lost, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent. A time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate. A time of war, and a time of peace. These 14 couplets to depict all of the circumstances of life. That which is extremely important, such as to go to war, or to be at peace, to as simple as, is it time to sew a garment, or is it time to tear out those stitches And start over again. No matter how big the event or small the event, it should be seen as governed by a sovereign God that's given to us a responsibility. Because then we have this wonderful declaration that's given to us that provides the meaning and significance to life. Verse 9. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? What is the benefit of my hard work? The answer that's given by the person that takes God out of the picture is 
There is no benefit. There is no value. There is no return. What's the use? What's the point? Chance happens to all. Either we're lucky or unlucky. Solomon says in verse 10, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He says there is a task, there is a duty that God has given to mankind that they are to occupy themselves, that they are to give themselves to. And in this passage, we find out that every single one of us has the responsibility in life to ask the question, what am I to do with this time that I have? What am I to do with these short years that I've been given given to live on the face of this earth? That is the primary duty that each one of us has every day of our lives. To ask ourselves, what does God want me to do today? What is appropriate for me today? What does God want today? God is sovereign and has complete control of the eventual outcomes of all our decisions in life. That explains why the race is not always to the swift. It is not the result of bad luck when the swift don't win the race. It is the intervention of a sovereign God. It's not that time and chance happen to all. However, our decisions in life really do matter. They are important. They are meaningful. Thus, most often, the race is to the swift. Usually, the fastest person gets there first. Usually, the warrior does win the battle. Usually, the wise man does have food to eat. And usually, the person of ability finds favor in the eyes of others. That there is meaning to our existence. There is a benefit to our work. In the passage that's before us, we see how human responsibility for the use of time and God's sovereignty over the one who ordains time and its outcome are come together as hand in glove. And that introduction is what I want to focus on this morning because it's tremendously important and relevant. So we start with man's responsibility. God has given to us the arduous task, a difficult task, of figuring out what is 
the appropriate time for all the events in our lives. Verse 10. I've seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. What does God want me to do with my life? Every teenager wrestles with the question, what am I going to do in life? What am I going to be? What am I going to devote my life to? Some teenagers take God into consideration in that planning process. Other teenagers don't take God into account at all. One of the things I would encourage you to remember, teenager, as you go to your high school guidance counselor, most often they're not going to take God into account when asked, what is it that you're going to do the rest of your life? You're going to take some aptitude tests. You're going to be exposed to what opportunities are out there, what jobs are going to be available uh, when you graduate from high school or college, what you are most likely going to be able to make the most money at, but very few are going to ask you the question, what does God want you to do with your life? But there's no more important question than the answer to that. What does God want you to do with your life? And it's a very popular topic to speak among young people. How do I know God's will for my life? This passage says that's an arduous task. That is difficult. That is not easy to answer that question. But that is what God has given you to do. That is your primary responsibility in life. To ask the question, why has God placed me on this earth? And what does He want me to do with the time that I am here? What does God want me to do with my life? Secondly, what does God want me to do in this stage of life that I am in? The stage of life that I am in. As a child, what does God want me to do as a child? He wants you to obey your parents. He wants you to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What am I to do as a child? Ask yourself the question, what am I supposed to do as a teen? Well, again, you are to honor your parents, but you're also to prepare yourself for the time in which you are no longer going to be under parental care and discipline. You're to be guarding your life. You're to be looking over the events of life and realizing that there are certain things that are not appropriate to the day and age in which you live as a teenager. And realize there's an appropriate time to be born or to have children. And that comes after you're married. And so you're going to make wise and appropriate decisions as to what God wants me to do. Who should I marry? Again, we take the Word of God into account and realize that we are to marry a believer, if we are a believer. We're to marry people who are dedicated 
to the cause of Christ. But those very important questions, you see, need to be answered. What am I to do in this stage of life that I'm in? Now I'm in my working years. What do I do now? Now I'm retired. What do I do now? In every stage of life, there are new responsibilities. There are new challenges. There are new activities. And you have to ask yourself, what does God want me to do with my life in the stage of life that I'm in? So we move from the totality of life to the stage of life to the very moment of life that I am in. And so we ask ourselves the question, what does God want me to do today? What does, how does God want me to spend today? Where should I be today? I'm glad that you're in the house of God. I believe that that was a wise choice. I believe that that was appropriate. This is the time for us to gather together. And so you made a good decision in being in God's house today to hear the word of God. What are you going to do this afternoon? What are you going to do tonight? What are you going to do tomorrow? All of those questions are significant. Because it's not just the big events in life. It's also knowing when I should hug and not hug. When should I sow and not sow? When should I plant? When should I pluck up? All of the events of life. What am I to do? He has made everything appropriate in its time. Today, is it a time to speak or a time to keep silent? Is it a time for me to speak up? Maybe there's a committee meeting that's coming. Maybe there's a decision that has to make it work or, or at school or perhaps a political rally. Who knows? But is it a time for you to speak? Or is it a time to keep silent? Because there are times to speak. And there are times to keep silence. And Proverbs, which is another book of wisdom, puts before us, again, those seemingly contradictory statements, but show us the totality and reality of life. So it says, answer not a fool in his folly, lest you be like him. There's times when you hear foolish people say foolish things, and the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut, or otherwise you enter into that same argument and debate, and you end up sounding just as foolish as they do. The very next verse says, Answer a fool in his folly, lest he be wise in his own deceit. Lest a person thinks that there's no answer to their foolishness. Lest they think that, that they have won the day. Well, then you rise to the occasion and you show them just how foolish they are. There are times at work when you hear people say certain things that you need to address it. There's a time to speak up. There are other times to let it go. There are times in your children's life. Do you discipline them? Do you tolerate this? Or is it a time to let it go? And to keep silent. That requires wisdom. That requires maturity. But that is the difficult task that God has assigned to every human being to know what is appropriate for the time. What we should do right now. 
That's what God has given us to do. However, God is also sovereign and has purposes for the events in our lives that often we do not and cannot understand. Notice Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts so that mankind knows that there's more to life than this life. Yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning even to the end. There are purposes for God's for our life that we cannot know. We cannot fathom. We don't always understand why certain things are happening in our lives. But the comfort is in knowing that it's not a matter of good or bad luck. It is the sovereign working of an all-knowing, all-wise, loving, and merciful God. Sometimes we can perceive what it is that he is doing. Many times we cannot. We cannot. And when we cannot, it is our responsibility to humbly bow and acknowledge the goodness of God and the appropriateness of what he does. And recognize that there is a beauty in this. Even as the New Testament teaches us that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He has a purpose. He has a reason. Life is not meaningless. Life is not governed by bad luck or good luck or blind fate. Life is not a series of random events. We have a sovereign God who is overseeing and directing the outcomes of the choices that we make. So, we find that there is an appropriate time and thus a beauty for all the events associated with human existence. Ecclesiastes 3.1 There is a time for everything and, in the King James, a season for every activity under heaven. Again, I appreciate that translation. For the season speaks of stages in life which we can expect to experience certain events. Seasons. And there is an appropriate time in every season of life for certain activities and events. Just as there are appropriate activities for each season of the year. Winter is for skiing. Summer is for swimming. But we all know about polar bear clubs. And there are some people, which I don't understand, find it to be tremendously fun to go out and take a dip in 20 degree weather in a frigid ocean. They're weird. It doesn't seem appropriate to me. But you certainly don't see them lying out and sunbathing then on the rocks. It's too cold for that. There are appropriate activities for certain seasons, inappropriate activities for other seasons. So too in the seasons of life. There are those things which are appropriate for that particular season. Young people have children. It's not the time when you're in your 60s and 70s to be giving birth. 
there is an activity that's appropriate for the time and life in which you live. Within those stages of life, God has ordained a specific time for the events to transpire. There's a time for every activity under heaven. In order to enjoy life, we need to learn to experience and appreciate God's design for our life. There is a beauty to life that is found in experiencing everything at the right time. Happiness is experienced when life's events are experienced in the normal design of God as illustrated by, and I'm just going to use one of these couplets this morning to introduce Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And it starts off by saying there's a time to be born and then there is a time to die. And I want to talk to you for the rest of this time about that simple thought, there is a time to die. And look at it in light of human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Now, of all things, how does human ability and God's sovereignty enter into this discussion of there is a time to die? Well, first, there is a design of God. There is a stage in life wherein death is appropriate. Death in old age is keeping with God's overall design. Psalm 90 verse 10 says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. That's not a promise. It's a generalization. It's a generalization. We can expect to live till we are 70 years old. And then any time beyond that, the Word of God says, uh, sometimes you live longer, but many times that's associated with hardships and difficulties and, and trials of life. Death in old age means we have lived a full life. A verse that appears many times in Scripture concerning many different people. Then he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people old and full of years. Death in old age is appropriate. And even beautiful. And we may look at that and say, you know, they've lived a, a long and productive life. And we are not glad that they are gone, but we are glad that they have no longer experiencing some difficulties and, and hardships. You know what I'm saying. We look at the death of an old person and say, well, what do you expect? But death of a young person, you see, takes on an entirely different frame of mind. Why? Because it's not seen as a beautiful thing. It doesn't seem to be appropriate. It doesn't seem to be right. And so we might speak of an untimely death. It just doesn't seem the time to die. You don't expect a 10-year-old to die. You don't expect a 20-year-old to die. You don't expect a 40-year-old to die. And there is a measure of sadness. A different kind of sadness that's associated with the death of a person who dies when they're young. Death of a young person is contrary to God's design 
but not his will. God is sovereign over life and death. And though it is not normative for a young person to die, when a young person dies, they haven't been unlucky. But rather, they have encountered the sovereign working of God. So we ask ourselves the question, well, what about life and death? Is there a human responsibility? Do we have any control over how long we live? And the answer to that is yes and no. If we take good care of our bodies, we can generally expect to live longer. If we abuse our bodies, we might be cutting short our life expectancy. Listen to the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Why should you die before your time? Why should you die prior to those 70 years that God has given to us? Why you live your life in such a way that is going to result in a premature death? You abuse your body, chances are, quote unquote, you are not going to live for many, many years. Take good care of yourself and you can expect that you're going to live a longer life. However, God is sovereign over our lives. And so, just because you take care of yourself doesn't mean, ergo, therefore, you're going to live a long life. And we've all seen the Today Show probably and and I'm trying to think of uh, Willard, uh, was it Smith? Willard Scott, yes, thank you. Willard Scott, and he introduces the 100-year-old and the 110-year-old. And what's your secret to long life? Whiskey and cigarettes. Yeah, there are some people who drink whiskey and smoke like a chimney, and they live a long time. God is sovereign. Over life and death. So Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of his death. We don't even have complete control over the day that we die. And I thought about that, and it's easy to see about extending life. You know, take care of yourself or not take care of yourself. But God is even sovereign. You know, there have been, there have been people who have actually attempted suicide. Shot themselves in the head and survived. They intended to end their life, but a sovereign God said, No, you will not die today. No, I will forbid that. Most often, if you put a gun to your head, it's going to prove to be the day that you die. But God is sovereign in these events. God is sovereign in these events. It is our responsibility to make wise decisions so that we experience the circumstances at the right time resulting in joy. Wisdom is to be found in doing what is right at the right time. Ecclesiastes 8.5 He who keeps the royal command experiences no trouble, 
For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. A wise person knows what is the proper time, the proper procedure, the way to act. Wisdom can be boiled down to knowing what is the right thing to do, what is the right thing to say, what's the right way to live at any given time. Wisdom is able to answer the question, what am I to do? This moment, this stage in life, and with my life in general. We want to make decisions that prolong life and not shorten it. However, when we have seemingly made all the right decisions and we die at a young age, that does not mean that all those decisions were meaningless. It doesn't mean that we are just left to chance. God has a purpose from beginning to end for our lives. There is a beauty in his timing no matter when it occurs. No matter when it occurs. There is even beauty in the death of a young person. The scripture says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of the saints. There's a tendency when a young person dies to lament and think about all they missed out on life. Just stop and you say, wow, this young person, just think of what they missed out on. And you grieve for them. You say, they didn't have the opportunity to be married. They didn't have the opportunity to have children. There are so many joys and delights and they missed out on them all. And so we are sad. But rarely do we take the biblical perspective of Isaiah chapter 57, verses 1 and 2, which says, The righteous man perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. What? That the righteous man is taken away from evil. No one stops to consider all that this person has been spared from. We have a tendency to look at all the good that they haven't enjoyed. The scripture says, stop and think about all the difficulty from which they have been spared. The goodness and grace of God. When we believe in a sovereign God, the events and circumstances of life look so different from that which takes God out of the picture and just sees life as governed by random chance. So, conclusion. All this was just introductory. I'm going to go back over these, these verses much more carefully in the weeks that lie ahead. But the conclusion is this. First, enjoy life by seeking to do everything in life at its proper and appropriate time. Make wise decisions. Know that the time to, to yell is at a football game and not in a library. Know what is appropriate for the day and age in which you live. Embrace the meaning of life. Embrace the sovereignty of God. 
When life does not go the way that we expect it to or the way that we want it to, that does not mean our hard work and wise decisions were meaningless or that just that they were a product of bad luck. Bow down and embrace the thought of a sovereign God. Don't throw your hands up and say life is meaningless, just blind fate, bad luck. Rather, God has a design and purpose for every aspect of our lives. Trust in that good purpose. Memorize Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God. But here's another thought. And it's one I don't think we reflect on enough. Recognize the grace of God in our lives. Then when we have made good decisions and acted wisely and godly, that God has been gracious to us and allowed it to turn out well. Because there's no guarantees. You can't just pat yourself on the back. If your children are walking with the Lord, if you have a good job, if you have plenty to eat, you can't just pack yourself on the back and you say, you know, I made a lot of wise decisions in my life. And that poor smuck over there, they must have made a lot of wrong decisions in their lives. There's got to be a balance in these things. Wise decisions tend to result in good outcomes. Bad decisions tend to result in bad outcomes. But sometimes the race is not to the swift. Sometimes the warrior doesn't win the battle. Sometimes the good things don't have the best of outcomes. So even in our life, when we have made good decisions, and we have acted wisely, and we have tried to wrestle with the question, what does God want me to do? At the end of the day, don't just sit back and praise your own wisdom and your own determination. But thank a sovereign God who has blessed our endeavors, who has answered our prayers, who has led and directed in our lives and allowed us to live and to flourish. Because a sovereign God is in control. And we have responsibilities before him. May God help us then as we work through this passage and try to emphasize human responsibility and God's sovereignty as we talk about time. And uh, starting with the Ecclesiastes uh, 3-2 next Sunday morning. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask for your wisdom and your direction. I pray that you would help us each to arduously Give forth the time and the effort to answer the question, what does God want me to do? I pray for our young people who are wrestling in that stage of life that have to make that decision. What are they going to do for the rest of their lives? What should I be? What should I devote my, my life to? Lord, grant them wisdom. May they seek your face. May they seek wise counsel. May they search the scriptures. And may they come to a, a place of understanding and contentment 
Do they believe that they know what you want them to do with their life as they examine their gifts and abilities and talents and callings? Lord, help us all as we wrestle with the stage of life that we are in. And we ask ourselves, what do I do now? Do I continue to work? Do I retire? In retirement, what do I do now that I'm retired? How should I spend my time? What should I give myself to? Lord, help us in whatever stage of life that we're in to make those adjustments and to find a beauty within that particular age. Every age, every stage of life has something uniquely challenging and exciting and blessed about it. May we see that. May we find it. Oh, Lord. And, oh, God, may we just submit ourselves to a sovereign God. Not thinking that we are robots, that our life choices are meaningless. They are not. Help us to make wise choices. Help us to determine to do what is right and godly in your sight. Give us the expectation that when we act appropriately, that there will be a reward and blessing. Help us to live in fear that when we don't do what is right, that there's a consequence to our actions. There's a payday someday. There is going to be a resultant negative in our lives. Help us to have that wisdom. And Lord, also help us to see a sovereign God who helps us to understand why it is, when we look around us, that we see the exceptions to the rule. Why it is that there are times that the swiftest person doesn't win the race. Why it is that the noblest warrior doesn't win the battle. Why it is that at times in our lives, when we've done everything that we thought was right and gave ourselves to it, and it hasn't turned out the way we want. Lord, help us from throwing our hands into the air and say that life is meaningless and governed by chance. But help us to bow to a sovereign God and say, you have purposes that are beyond our, our understanding, that are beyond our ability to fathom. You are doing things in us and through us that we don't fully understand. But we acknowledge your goodness and we seek your intervention in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.